0: You're listening to Alternative Thinking, Both Sides of the Coin, a production of the Canadian Association of Alternative Strategies and Assets, where we explore today's markets and alternative investments from two distinct perspectives. In today's episode, we feature the largest multi-family landlord in Canada, who sees attractive multiples in the sector as an opportunity going forward. And on the other side, we have a prolific advisor who advises 350 households and his ideas on how investors and other advisors should approach the markets, in this and other crises. James Buran is the president and co-founder of CASA. All opinions expressed during the show by James and our show guests remain their own and should be used for informational and educational purposes only. Find out more about CASA at casa.ca. This is March 31st and uh, this is James with CASA. We have uh, two distinguished speakers with me today, uh, Dennis Mitchell with Starlight Capital and Darren Coleman at Raymond James. We're gonna be talking about the COVID coronavirus uh, uh, crisis and what they're doing with their clients and with their investments uh, going forward. Let's start with uh, self introductions. Maybe uh, Darren, you could start off.
1: Uh, Thanks James and hi Dennis. Uh, So my name is Darren Coleman. I've been an investment advisor for 28 years uh, my practice is always focused on solving complicated financial planning situations. We have been active investors in alternatives for uh, over almost 20 years, actually, so over 15 years for sure. Uh, and our specialty today is in working with people who have money and family on both sides of the border. So I lead one of the largest cross-border wealth management teams in North America. Uh, we've been at Raymond James for about eight years, and I lead one of the largest teams within the firm.
0: Great, thanks. And. Uh... Dennis, uh, Starlight, you started up a a few years ago. How's that been going? What's been your your history?
2: Sure. So I'm Dennis Mitchell, and I'm the CEO and CIO of Starlight Capital. Starlight Capital is the fourth business under the Starlight Investments umbrella. Starlight Investments is a $19 billion North American direct real estate asset manager, and we are the fourth business under uh, that umbrella. And We're focused solely on real estate and infrastructure, publicly traded securities, uh, my background is is that I've been a portfolio manager, chief investment officer, uh, in asset management firms for the last 15, 16 years. Uh, at one point, I ran the largest real estate mutual fund in the country. But uh, our business now at Starlight Capital is focused on, as I said, real assets, specifically real estate and infrastructure.
0: Great, thanks. Um, I guess one clarification I have for you, Dennis, is it direct real estate? Like your your funds invest strictly into uh, I guess maybe you could tell me if it's apartment buildings or is it more commercial and such, or do you have a mix of public securities in there too, like REITs and such, or or how, what's the makeup of those portfolios?
2: So our funds can invest in a range of securities. Main, it's historically it's mainly been publicly traded real estate and infrastructure securities globally. But more recently, with the benefit of having uh, Starlight Investments as our parent and partner, we've started to inject more and more private assets into our business. So our funds can be 10% private. Uh, Some of the solutions that we've introduced can be up to 40% private. And we're in the process of rolling out new solutions, global infrastructure and global real estate, that are 80% private. And the remaining 20% is global listed securities in the real estate and infrastructure space.
0: Wow. And tell me about Starlight. Uh, and are they, they're they strictly direct and you're using their expertise to augment some of your portfolios?
2: Yeah. So our, as I said, our parent, Starlight Investments, is a $19 billion North American real estate manager. Uh, we are the largest landlord in Canada uh, after two recent transactions we did that uh, wow. aggregated about $6.5 billion worth of multifamily assets. We're now the largest multifamily landlord in Canada uh, and a very large landlord in the United States with about uh, 14,000 apartment suites there. And then uh, in addition to that, we've got about a 7 million square foot, uh, $2 billion commercial real estate portfolio across Canada. And by commercial, I mean mainly suburban office. Um, So when you put it all together, it's about $19 billion of direct real estate assets that our parent Starlight Investments manages. Wow, that's impressive.
0: Um, so, Darren, we've spoken quite a few times over the years, and, and 15, 20 years in alternatives over uh, your career, uh, which is like I say, almost three, three decades. Wow. Um, is this a time, now that we've seen the public markets drop precipitously, and then pop up, and then who knows what's happening now, Um for folks, because there is this kind of denominator effect with their public versus private investments, is it time to roll stuff into public markets or is there still more pain on the horizon? Or is it maybe a time to take advantage of the deals that are coming up in the, in the private markets? What, what, what are you seeing from uh, uh, to advise your client base?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think the first thing that people need to do is recognize that this is likely to be a temporary event uh, and not sell because they're panicked and concerned. I think you kind of have to maintain uh, a business-like focus when you think about your portfolios. And if you're an advisor thinking about the portfolios for your clients, you really have to be business-like about this. And one thing that we've seen... Um, in previous rapid declines, whether it was in 08 or uh, 2001 or pick your, pick your crisis, uh, when markets sell off really, really quickly and almost indiscriminately, everything goes to sale at about the same amount. So it really is a time, if you can keep your wits about you, to go shopping and begin to upgrade the quality of your positions. Now, it's up to each individual investor and advisor to determine what they feel quality is and what they feel the right securities are. But clearly, I think risk has gone out of the market very, very quickly with that kind of decline. Um, so, I think from that perspective, there's probably lots to go shopping for in the public market. I think when we look at anything that's in um, kind of the more inefficient markets, whether you know, in alternatives, for example, because inefficiency is often a, uh, a feature of, of private markets and, and alternative strategies. I think mm-hmm. there, I think advisors, if they don't already know a lot, I think that this is a time where. Uh, They can use instead of watching maybe Netflix, they can use this time to educate themselves, reach out, connect with investment managers because they're all still open Mm -hmm. for business. Um, But like anything else, you kind of have to know what you're doing. My favorite quote from Warren Buffett is that risk is not knowing what you're doing and the alternative space uh, it really matters having a good background or a knowledge and understanding of what the strategies are, how they generate returns, who the management teams are. Uh, so now's a good time for advisors and, and uh, interested investors to really kind of do some homework in terms of um, understanding strategies and, and really seeing where is there a place for those types of things in their portfolios. Awesome.
0: Um, and then Dennis, I guess you guys have both sides as well. Is Are you finding opportunities in the Public side, where things are just massively on sale, perhaps, or in the private side, where where uh, transactions that you want to do before are maybe better priced, or is is one of those markets kind of well, maybe the private market frozen up, or well, what, what have you seen? I and mean, what what's your idea, say, going forward if if you're going to lean toward one or the other?
2: Sure. So I think there are excellent opportunities on both sides of the ledger, and you have to keep in mind that. Um, real estate whether it 's publicly owned or or privately owned, and infrastructure assets, whether they 're public or private, the assets themselves don 't care. they will derive the same returns they will generate the same utilization yeah. whether they 're publicly traded or not so it 's you know when you ask if there are opportunities on both sides of the ledger, usually there are it 's really a question of can you get your hands on them and the publicly traded market it 's a little easier to get your hands on these opportunities on the private side it 's not quite as easy it 's not as liquid a market. So if I look at the opportunity set in front of me right now, uh, it's obvious that there are opportunities in the publicly traded market. Uh, There are three sources of return. There's excuse me, the yield that any investment generates, the growth that it generates and the multiple it trades at. And in the publicly traded markets right now, if you know, going into January, we were trading at elevated multiples and there. So there wasn't the argument for multiples to continue to expand. So one source of return was sort of off the table for investors with this correction we've seen. It's created an opportunity where, you know, securities that should rightfully be yielding 2 or 3 percent, given that the 10-year bond yield is below 1 percent, those securities are now yielding 7, 8, 10, 12 percent. Then if you look at at the multiples they're trading at, they're trading well below their long-term average multiple. You know, securities that should trade at 15 times next year's earnings are trading at uh, 5, 6 times next year's earnings, if not less. And the real question that everyone's trying to figure out is, of course, growth. You know, In January, we had a good idea Mm -hmm. of what the growth outlook was. Today, people uh, have no idea what the growth outlook is going to be. And I think that creates a tremendous opportunity in real assets in particular, because real assets have got that consistent cash flow profile that at times of stress like this or times of uncertainty, investors gravitate towards. So we're obviously not going out to restaurants. We're not going out to movie theaters anymore. Um, We certainly can't pick up our grande skinny vanilla latte, which is killing me. But uh, we are waking up every day. We are using hot water. We are using electricity. We're using even more broadband services and cell services. So there are businesses out there. That continue to provide base level base load electricity, that provide hot water, that uh, provide cell phone service, that uh, we're all VPNing into you know databases on servers and data centers. These companies are continue to provide their services, and if anything, the demand for their services increases. Uh, for those of us who live in apartments, we still live in those apartments. You know, some of us may uh, may mm-hmm. not be going into our office towers, and I'm recording this from my dining room slash home office number two. Um, but uh, some of us, you know, some, you know, we wake up in the morning and we're, we're still in our apartment building, we're still paying rent. So there are opportunities on the publicly traded side that are very obvious. Some of the opportunities on the private side are less obvious. Whenever markets seize up like this or sell off like this, the number one concern is liquidity, meaning is your cash flow interrupted? Do you have access to capital? And so the opportunities that our parent, in particular, Starlight Investments, has access to, and that by default we also have access to, are a function of the fact that Starlight is such a large landlord and has been prudently managed with a lot of liquidity. And by liquidity, I mean mm-hmm. we have a lot of cash on hand, we have you know credit facilities that we can tap into, and we have assets that are unencumbered, meaning we haven't put debt against them yet. And so those are tremendous sources of liquidity, which mean that when there are people out there who in this environment are forced to sell, or had existing sales processes going on where a lot of the potential bidders have now backed away, we now have the wherewithal and the financial ability and flexibility to continue with our bidding process or to be an opportunistic acquirer during a period of stress for someone else. And uh, Darren, if you're gonna quote Warren Buffett, I'm gonna quote Warren Buffett you know, he says the best way to to make money is to be greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy. And right now, I would say there's a lot of fear in the public markets and the private markets. And that creates a lot of opportunities for people who are well positioned with cash and capital to go out and be greedy and make a lot of money.
0: Oh, great. That's like a Warren Buffett detente. I'm glad we got that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I received an email from my hydro provider and they said, don't worry, we're going to be here. We're going to keep Keep uh, pumping the power into your into your house, which is fantastic. Um, and then, of course, public versus private. Can the real estate like private real estate versus REITs? So There's two to three times of all, but basically the same return. Uh, you just don't get the opportunity to get out with a lot of real estate funds. Um, and I think we've seen. So I'm not sure. Maybe tell us about the structure of your of your funds, Dennis. Uh, is it closed end or open end? And are you looking at uh what what do you guys how do you guys view gates um or gating the fund in times like this with stress maybe to save investors from themselves uh but also to um you know to to keep the value within the fund because there's nothing worse than maybe a fire sale at a time like this
2: yeah so i i would say that if you're if if you're if you're trying to retain assets right now by desperately clawing all of your clients it's too late You've got to service Mm -hmm. your clients while times are good, such that when times are bad, um, they give you the time of day or they're willing to listen. And so Warren, here we go. Warren Buffett famously, in his uh, letters to shareholders, always talks about the mistakes that he's made and always kind of positions people to prepare for the eventual erosion of returns going forward based on the strength of returns that they've recently experienced. And so from our standpoint, we've embodied that by making sure that client service is number one for us in terms of going out and meeting with our advisors regularly, giving them a realistic picture of the investment landscape that we see in front of us, you know, if we're bullish or if we're slightly bearish. Um, And so when it comes to our funds, liquidity is an interesting thing. If you give advisors the ability to redeem you every day, then they generally leave you alone and let you keep their capital. But if you tell them they can only redeem you once a year, then it feels like an opportunity that they are compelled to sort of take advantage of. And uh, what you find is that your liquidity, you know, the redemption calls kind of kick up. So when I look at our our product base, we've designed Starlight Capital to partner with advisors just like Darren, who are focused on Mm -hmm. real assets or appreciate the value that real assets can bring to a portfolio. And we want to partner with them across their entire book. So, you know, everybody loves to have that older, established client with multiple millions of dollars that they've generated from their own business. But inevitably, that client comes with children or cousins or a crazy uncle who maybe doesn't have tons of capital, (laughs) right? And so what you want is you want to have the ability to provide funds and solutions that give you a small amount of, you know, illiquid or private assets, but generally are focused on publicly traded assets, such that somebody with a smaller amount of capital can invest in that pool. And then we've, already, we've also provided solutions that have got sort of a middle-of-the-road allocation to private assets, 40% private, 60% listed. And that's for sort of, I would say, your mass affluent client, um, who probably isn't uh, an entrepreneur, doesn't have their own business, but is well on their way to amassing a good chunk of capital and having a comfortable lifestyle in retirement. That solution gives them a more meaningful, Allocation to private assets while still providing the liquidity of listed securities. And then, you know, for that client who is a very sophisticated client, has maybe accumulated a, a substantial amount of wealth, maybe by building their own business, uh, we offer solutions now that are 80% private and 20% listed. And we find that those types of investors really appreciate the private market, they tend to be more patient, they tend to be more cerebral and thoughtful in how they allocate capital. And so an investment that is 80% private and 20% listed, still gives them a little bit of liquidity to manage their lifestyle but was really focused on longer term assets that are going to be uncorrelated from the market and are more familiar to them as business owners and operators um, in terms of the sort of having a patient longer term approach and allowing the business to sort of compound returns over a longer period of time. So we've built Starlight Capital to cater to all clients up and down the spectrum of an advisor's book.
0: And then from the advisor side, Darren, like you can't be in the business for two years, let alone 20 odd. Without having obviously a pretty good good relationship with your clients, and uh, like like Darren said, or Dada says, giving them the goods every year, whether it's good or bad, and uh, letting them know that things won't be as rosy later. Like what what are you telling them now? And uh, I saw Rubini had a had a column where he said it's not a V recovery, it's not an L, it's not even a U, it's an I. We're going straight down. Uh, You probably can't say that. (laughs) Say that, but what's um, what 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 sort of advice are you giving the clients now?
1: Yeah. You know, it's interesting just to throw one more Warren Buffett quote out into this, uh, which is true for both the investment managers and for the advisors, which is when the tide goes out, you get to see who's swimming naked. And I think it's stressful times like this where, you know, we look at investment managers to see who's still doing what they said they were going to do. Um, we, we want to be sure we don't get caught in a gating situation like you mentioned with uh, a little while ago, because that is a concern with some funds. Um, but I think at the end of the day, the advisors and the way they deal with their clients, they're also going to be judged by the client on how well did they communicate, what was the message they communicate, did they stay mm-hmm. positive, did they did they continue to add value to the client relationship? Um, you know, I've been very very impressed with our clients. I have the benefit of having a good sized team, so all of my team uh, members are contacting clients every day, so we're able to get to every client pretty much within a week, which is fantastic, considering there's over 350 families. And a lot of it is just checking in. How are they doing? How's family? Um, Is there a circle of care that they're building around family members that they may not be able to be with or get to? And then we also talk about markets and stocks. And, you know, at the end of the day, the one thing I've learned is that you just cannot predict the future. Um, That's a bit of a mugs game. Uh, The other thing we know is that uh, the one thing we've all learned from history is that people don't learn from history. So we're trying to take (laughs) the the lessons of what we should have been paying attention to from previous market declines. You know, the the, the most dangerous thing is in investing is to say it's uh, this time it's different. And while every single time we have a decline of some magnitude, it's always different in terms of the factors. But the patterns are fairly repeatable. So it's a question of what did we learn for the last time we went through this? And I think one benefit we've had is our clients are, are pretty experienced investors and the memories of 2008, which was a fundamentally different cause mm-hmm. um, for markets to decline. Like back then, that was actually worse in many ways, because the, the whole financial system had some pretty structural challenges to it. Uh, this is really a disruption caused by a health event. Um, that's closing everything down and and i think we have to believe that by its nature it's temporary Um, the effects of it might be longer term but the 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 cause of the decline was something that was absolutely unforeseeable Um, and and as i say by definition ought to be a temporary one so the clients are i think acting with with uh, excellent behavior. I think they're being very wise. They're appreciating that um, there is no point in selling in a decline. And I'll, we'll take our cues from when things recover based on how the virus tracks. Uh, the one thing we've been communicating to clients is that we won't know when this is over for some time. And I think mo- the first thing we all have to worry about is our own mental health, you know, because if we're all kind of stuck at home or we're not allowed to travel or do the things that we normally did, like going to movies or just going to the mall, Uh, or taking vacations we're going to have to manage our own mental health through this because this won't be over in a week this could take several months so we have to as advisors communicate to clients not just today and i've told my team we're going to have a bit of a rotation here because we're going to talk to them now and then we're going to talk to them again in a couple of weeks then we're going to talk to them again a couple weeks after that um, just to check in to make sure everybody's okay and this will be a moving situation for people um, and so on top of that we're finding new ways to communicate with them we're trying new uh and and I get to spend time now creating new content so doing podcasts like this one for example um, we're doing some web interviews with people that we think are thought leaders uh, and Dennis I'm gonna key you up for one of those hopefully um, we're uh we're getting interviews in the press where uh, I started videotaping with my GoPro walking my dog and just talking to clients about things that Um, I think are important. And we're getting great response from that. So I think there's a chance here for people to be somewhat inventive uh, about how they use their time. And one thing I've mentioned to clients in one of my walks was, you know, I think when we're all done with this, hopefully soon, but when we're all done with this, and we're all back talking to each other face to face, I think you're going to discover, and if you remember the first day of school, after Chris, after um, your summer vacation and everyone kind of played the what'd you do all summer game. I -hmm. think we're going to have a similar type of conversation with people and say, well, what did you do for that two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, six months, whatever gosh we have been dealing with. And I think you're going to find people will fall into two broad categories. The first group are the ones that say, you know, I couch potato my way through this. You know, I wore out my sweatpants. I watched everything on Netflix. You know, I kind of just hidden i gained 30 pounds and you know yeah you'll be able to tell
0: once you see them (laughs) yeah
1: you'll be able to notice right um but i think the other group of people and i would encourage most folks to try and get into this category are the ones that said you know what we all run so fast all the time maybe i could use this period to make my life a bit better and i think you're going to find some people said you know what i watched some netflix i did that but you know what i also did i read a bunch of books that i've been meaning to read i cleaned out my garage i got through those photo albums that have been in the basement I learned to play the piano. I spent more time with my kids. I Facetimed every relative I can think of and got reconnected. I think that, uh, and one thing we've asked clients to do from a financial planning perspective is go grab a spreadsheet. And if you're listening to this, do this right now because you're probably at home. Grab a spreadsheet, open a file folder, start recording all the little pieces of information that you have that nobody else has. Like, what are the what are the accounts? What are the passwords? What's the key for this? If someone had to walk into your house today and help figuring out where stuff is for you, where would they find it? Right? These are the chores that nobody ever bothers to do. But take the time. Yeah. It won't take an hour, half an hour, you know, and just write down what's my Facebook password? What's if some, what's the password for my phone? If I wasn't around to tell somebody how to do stuff, the the, the online banking or where's the insurance policies? And this isn't to scare people; it's just to be responsible. So I think that's a specific thing to do. But I think, in a large way, most people I think need to look at this time period we're in and say, "Am I going to get through this as a struggle, or am I going to find a way to be very positive for myself and my relationships through this?"
0: Love it. So guess you're walking around uh, with the, with the GoPro. Kookie is a new, sophisticated. Eh? Like it's a <laughs> it's a virtual world, and yeah, we're kind of thinking it'll be. 12 to 18 months before things really start to get absolutely normal?
1: It'll be a different normal, right? You know, like before 9-11, we never took our shoes off to get on an airplane. Now we all just take our shoes off to get on. We don't think, we just do it. So it'll be interesting to see the behaviors that come about from this. And as investors, you know, we've been kind of saying to clients, there's two broad categories of our shopping list, right? The first shopping list we're creating uh, is what's in the bargain bin. You know, what public or private yep. security has just, it's trading so low because everything got thrown out. What can we pick up are, at values that we will probably not see again, maybe ever? The second category are what are investments that, because we're not going to come out of this way we went into this, right? And so what are the investments that mm-hmm. we could find that we believe will do The best because number one all the stimulus packages that are coming the amount of government money is unbelievable so we're trying to be thoughtful about what will respond first the second thing is on that behavioral change what are the investments or the businesses that are going to do well and dennis already identified a bunch of sectors that are thriving now as businesses their stocks may not be but the businesses are like what what are the businesses that will do well in this new world that we're gonna be in, right? You know, and, and what businesses maybe will struggle from this. You know, Dennis and I talked a week or two ago about, you know, if all these companies have got all of their employees working from home remotely, it's kind of questionable how much real estate they think they're gonna need when they come back. Like, do we really need all this stuff? Like, does everybody have to come back? Why are we paying for all these office suites? Um, and I have a big office and I'm afraid to lose it. So but I just recognize that <laughs> a lot of decisions will be made because this has been a litmus test for how remote access systems can work and we'd already been moving in that direction you know my team was already set up to be fully remote uh, but we never had a cause for everyone to use it at the same moment now we have and it's changed our our style of how we do business and so for example we have a conference call every morning as a team and i think we probably talk more now than we ever did before Um, we use a system called slack which i'd never heard of but one of my team members was familiar with it yeah all the kids got it Yeah. yeah all the kids have it right uh and it just allows us to text message each other all the time so we're we're actually in more communication In many ways than we were previously so there's a lot of upside to this if you embrace it Um, and i think from the client perspective you know they are they are veterans of investing so they kind of get it the trick is are they going to lose patience right and we try to get them to realize that we don't know if it's a v-shaped recovery and i-shaped recovery and frankly if you did your financial planning and your investment construction properly you're not supposed to need the money for three years. That's that's the standard advice we always gave people. Yeah. If you're in equities, your minimum time horizon is three to five years. And it's because markets have a tendency of every once in a while of having these declines that you have to sit through. And the old adage is that the, the market takes the elevator down and the stairs back up. And I don't know if that's a Warren Buffett quote, but let's say it was, because we're on that. <laughs> yeah, three to one journey. now. That's good. Yeah, we're on that one now. <laughs> the trick is for investors not to lose patience. And also realize that we don't know if it's going to be an I-shaped or a V-shaped or a U-shaped. We don't know. And I would say, don't worry about it. You know, your minimum time horizon as an investor should have been three to five years before you bought stocks anyway. And it's because markets have a tendency statistically of going through these declines. And the old adage is that it takes the elevator down and the stairs back up. Uh, So be patient. Invest in good quality things, ideally that pay dividends. And that's why things like real estate uh, are are a very good component for many people's portfolios because it has the two attributes of a good investment. The one is that it has the appreciation of price, that potential. It also has regular income and that income organically rises at or better the rate of inflation, you know, and I know Dennis and I met after the market crash of 2008, actually no Dennis, it was after 2001. Let me refresh my memory here was after 911 you guys you and I met because uh all the real estate values dropped by 30 to 40% and yet all the people are still paying their rent so if something goes on sale to that degree maybe we should be buying it uh and so that's when Dennis and I met cuz I decided that we were going to go shopping for real estate and I had to learn um what different real estate investment trusts were and how to figure them out. And I very quickly was introduced to Dennis and I realized that guy knows more about this than I ever will. So why don't I just connect with him uh, as opposed to me trying to get an expertise that I'll never have. Yeah, Just, uh, just rent the brain. eh? <laughs> just rent the brain. Yeah. And, and I would say for many investors, that's actually something they should do. Like, I think you do need to spend some time and educate yourself, but also realize, you know, there's a learning curve to everything. And you know the most expensive thing you can do is hire an amateur. And if you've <laughs> yeah. if you've renovated your house, that's why Mike Holmes has a TV show, right? Um, you want to be smart enough to know who the smart people are, and then awesome. align with them. So yeah, that's uh, a beautiful segue
0: back to Dennis here. Um, so they, there's been, we had Morgan Stanley came out and saying there'll be no layoffs of all sixty thousand people or so working there. Uh, other companies have said the same. So people are great work from home for the rest of the year, or if they need to, and uh, so they they do have paychecks coming in, which is good. I imagine many companies, if they weren't, if they stopped doing stock buybacks, then they probably have some some cash. The government has put in like seventy five percent of people's salaries up to I think fifty seven grand in Canada. So there's and they're helicoptering money in the states too, and you know MV equals PQ, so there's the velocity is dropped, so you can hammer the uh, the monetary and put a couple trillion. Uh, into the economy without worrying about prices you know wildly increasing, which was the worry in two thousand eight and then didn't happen um, but uh you know this rethinking of residential real estate and commercial real estate maybe not so in- industrial what, has that changed how you guys are positioning your portfolios going forward or, or and how or or is it uh is it something that you had already seen coming or what what's your what's your views on on the aftermath of this
2: yeah sure so I mean Going into this, we had a portfolio that was uh, certainly more diversified by geography, by sector, and by business model. And subsequent to this, we've concentrated the portfolio. And these are the lessons I learned from 08 and 09, Uh When we could buy companies like Simon Property, which is arguably still the best REIT in the world, uh, You know, it's, it's worth probably 200 to $250 even in today's market. And you can buy it today at 50-something bucks. But back in March of 09, you wow. could have bought it for 25 bucks. Um so we learned that it wasn't necessary to have a portfolio of 50 or 60 names when you know some of the best REITs in the world are offering you you know a 1000% return. So what we've done since the financial crisis is we've said what are the best quality names that have got tons of liquidity and whose business models will be preserved going forward and that offer us the best returns. And so we we actually exited a, a small cap name that we had done very very well in but its business model was focused on finding underperforming, underleased small business parks and industrial assets, putting capEx or putting capital into them to, to build them out, leasing them up to small and medium-sized enterprise tenants who would you mm-hmm. know pay higher rents than, say, a larger tenant would, and then selling those assets uh, to capture the upside. And that business model is now impaired in this current environment. You know, small and medium-sized enterprises will struggle more than large cap firms, uh, coming out of this downside, and uh, it'll be extremely difficult to to ca- to crystallize returns from a value add strategy like that um, going forward for the next little while. So we looked at that and and the existing tenant base as well. You know, if everybody's working from home, when the bell rings and and everyone comes back, some of those companies won't come back. Whether it's in retail malls that have been shut down, and Simon Property, as I mentioned before, has closed all of its U.S. malls. When they reopen, some of the small tenants won't be there. And same for office. Everybody's going home. Some of those small tenants won't come back. So we exited that position. And what we did is we really concentrated on the real estate side into uh, three sectors, multi-residential, industrial, and then the technology-oriented names, if you will, the cell towers and the data centers. And the industrial and the cell towers and the data centers are easy. The demand for their services is actually increasing. And these businesses are actually doing better in the downturn. Uh, we're all at home. Everyone's scared to even go into the department store. You know, Darren mentioned before, and you order things on uh, on Amazon now. The delivery isn't tomorrow; it's next week. You know, if uh, if you go online and try to order groceries online, mm-hmm. the ne- the next delivery date is two weeks from now. So clearly, people are people are taking this opportunity to do more shopping online and less in person. And that was a structural trend we were seeing, where e-commerce was growing at 20 to 30 percent per year. Now there's a cyclical catalyst right now to even accelerate that further. And so, you know, you can see it in Amazon hiring 100,000 people and Costco hiring 150,000 people and them each paying everyone more. It's because the utilization of their assets is increasing. The demand for the services they provide is increasing. So those are two, and, and obviously we touched upon everyone sort of, Using their VPN and activating their business continuity plan to, uh, to to access you know to work from home and access all of their information on servers. Clearly, the demand for storage and the demand and the utilization of the cell tower networks has increased. And so those those sectors, cell towers, data centers, and industrial assets were easy way easy places to stash a lot of capital, and they've done well for us. Multi res is a little less intuitive, but when we looked back at 08 and 09, what we found is that Uh, the occupancy of most multifamily REITs in REOX had remained pretty consistent even throughout 2008-2009. And, you know, in the worst scenarios, some of the tenants stopped paying rent, and we're seeing that this time. But the difference between, say, office and retail and multi-res is that in multi-residential, your tenant lives in the property that you own and manage. And so whether they're paying rent or not, they're there. So when the bell rings and everyone comes back, your occupancy should be you know, fully preserved. Everyone should still be in place, ready to pay rent. Whereas in an office or retail, you oh, first yeah. got to wait and see who comes back. And then it's a challenge of, well, how much of the back rent can I recapture? With multi-res, and you talked about the government programs that are out there, they're specifically designed now to provide mm-hmm. you know, the basic necessities for people, which is you know, food, medicine, and rent. Because a lot of the vulnerable citizens in in our society right now are renters. And so as as, you know, we get to see it from the publicly traded side, but we also get to see it as the landlord. And uh, everyone is working to make sure that people can stay in their homes and that they aren't disadvantaged by this pandemic. But at the same time, it's comforting to know that your tenants are there. And when the dust does settle and we come back to some, you know, the new normal, as Darren has put it, uh, that your, your occupancy should be preserved, your tenants should be there, and the cash flow should be resilient. And that is what we've seen historically in 08 and 09, and that's what gives us comfort that this time it'll be similar. And then on the infrastructure side, we're fortunate that we can cheat a little bit and we can own cell phone, cell, cell tower REITs, and data center REITs in the infrastructure fund as well. But what we found is that we've taken a big chunk out of our energy weighting. And with the price war going on between Saudi Arabia and Russia, that just seems to make a lot of sense right now. And we've put a lot of that capital into utilities. And utilities were very expensive. Um, Going into this downturn, you're talking about US utilities, which make up about 20% of our overall benchmark, trading at 20 times next year's earnings, and those earnings only growing at 5%. So they were extremely expensive. But after the correction we've seen, Mm -hmm. we have the opportunity now to buy into some of the best utilities in the world. Some of the water utilities, they were very, very expensive, but now we have the opportunity to buy a name like American Waterworks. Some of the other U.S. utilities that were very expensive that provided electricity or gas distribution, they were also very expensive. But after this sell-off, we now have the opportunity to buy into utilities that provide electricity into a state like Texas that is a growing population, or North Carolina, or Florida. Again, growing population means more households, which means more demand for utility connections, which means... Generally, pricing power, but also greater connections. And so the top line revenue growth is greater. And if they're run efficiently, you should get margin expansion, which leads to earnings growth and a higher multiple and yield and distribution growth. So those businesses we couldn't access before because they were expensive. But in this downturn, we find that their cash flows and revenues are resilient, but their prices have come down to a place where we can now allocate.
0: All right, Dennis, that's great. So, Darren, how are you advising clients right now with regard to their portfolios going forward?
1: With respect to, you know, we've always in our portfolios wanted clients to have a very good balance between different types of strategies, you know, fixed income, which we kind of call smart lending, uh, blue chip dividends, real estate infrastructure. I think for most investors, they need to work on what's the right balance across those different concepts, those different uh, ideas, because it does diversify the portfolio. And so in my view, most investors should really look at their portfolios right now and go, where am I potentially out of balance And how do I readjust what that asset allocation ought to be back to what fits my strategic plan? And then also, where can I add more quality into my portfolios? Because if everything's gone on sale, you have a real chance to go and buy things that you probably will not see these prices again. Uh, And it won't turn around tomorrow, probably. So you do have time to do your homework, do your due diligence, and build relationships with people that can last for a long time. You know, Dennis and I met uh, after the 2001 correction when all the real estate went on sale and we began adding pretty heavily to that. And he was the smartest guy that I met. So from our perspective, we've always been long-term investors in assets that are very good quality that also tend to pay us a really good good income through time. So being a landlord historically has been a smart thing to do. Uh, The real trick is finding the right people to partner with.
0: Well, it's been fantastic. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks, Darren, uh, for your insights. And uh, it's, it's you can really see that you guys have known each other for, for about two decades and uh, been through ups and downs together, as well as with your clients and investors and uh, really seeing some good values in this market. Uh, thanks again for your time. And we'll look forward to having both of you on another podcast uh, sometime soon.
1: Well, thank you, James. Thanks, James. Thanks, Dennis. Thank you, Darren. Okay.